welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa with Dr. Rory Merritt, and here's what we've got for you today. Everybody's doing it. You know what it is. Using social media and free open access medical education resources to help provide patient care. As today's author points out, almost nothing is known about how, when, or why medical providers use these resources in the clinical setting. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Catherine Potoka, who along with her colleagues have begun to answer this knowledge gap in her paper, Point of Care Resource Use in the Emergency Department, a Developmental Model. Dr. Potoka is a medical education researcher in point-of-care resources and resuscitation. She's also a clinical assistant professor in emergency medicine at the University of Calgary. Dr. Potoka, thank you so much for joining us today. Dr. Pence and I were debating before we started what exactly you call somebody from the city of Calgary. Ah, sure. That's a good question. I mean, I've only been in Calgary for five years. I don't know if I would consider myself a Calgarian, but that would be what you would call somebody from Calgary. There it is. Gita wins. But let's talk about your research As your article points out, the rise of -of point-of-care medical information for providers has been amazing. Yet, almost nothing is known about when or why providers use these resources. So when, when did you first begin to consider this knowledge gap, and how did that shape your research question? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So this research question emerged from some work I did uh, when I was a fellow with the Academic Life in Emergency Medicine blog, which you may or may not be familiar with. Of course. Um, But yeah, so me and one of the co-authors, Dr. Jeremy Voros, who's from Salt Lake City, um, were tasked with updating um, a point of care resource that was developed by that group, uh, specifically initially by Michelle Lynn and then taken on by some other people. Um, the resource used to be called the PV cards or the Pausus Verbis cards. That's right. Um, yep. And she circulated those and lots of people used them uh, in their practice. Um, however, when we were looking at them, they were kind of falling out of favor for multiple different reasons. And so she kind of brought us on to work on that. Um, since then, they've been renamed the uh, Alium or Academic Life in Emergency Medicine cards. Um, and uh, they've got a new website and all sorts of updates. So as we were looking at this, um, Jeremy was more of the technology person, whereas I was a little bit more of the academic person. And when we looked at a needs assessment as to how we were going to approach this, we discovered that we had lots of ideas about what people liked and didn't like um, about these resources, but we didn't really have any good evidence to guide our work. And we went to the literature And most of the time, um, we saw studies from the 80s and 90s uh, talking about like Medline searches and things like that, which didn't really um, fit with our question. So that's where this came from. It's really hard to do Medline searches in a busy emergency department. Correct. So in light of your findings, how, how should your research shape point of care resources? How do you envision the model that you guys have developed shaping future work? So I think um, there's maybe there's two big things that I would say our study 
helps with. Um, the first is to highlight to end users, so attending physicians, residents, medical students, the ways in which they can use or start to use point of care resources in their day to day practice. Mm-hmm. Um, a- eventually trying to optimize their efficiency and effectiveness because a lot of what we heard was no I can't use this because um, I don't have time like I don't know how to use it it's just not the optimal environment to be using it at the bedside so we hope that um, our study and our framework kind of gives you a a start into think how to think about this depending on where you lie in that spectrum of practitioners. So the way a medical student might use it will be very different from the way an attending physician might use it. Um, and in the same way, if you're an attending physician, you can um, you can hopefully use some of our findings to guide you in how to maximize your time. So using these these resources to teach patients and to teach medical students so that you can free up some of your time to go do the other important work that you have to be doing at the same time. So that's probably one of the biggest things. And we would hope that kind of educators that are, um, you know, uh, working with emergency providers could um, use this as a platform on which to kind of guide um, users. And secondly, we would hope that um, some of our findings might inform future point of care resource design. So, you know, you talk to anybody that you work with and they're always like, oh man, I wish there was an app for this. I wish there was a, <laughs> you know, I wish you could like make this so that I could access it when I really need it. Um, and so lots of people have ideas, but that step from I have an idea to actually designing something that people use, that they like, that's effective, um, is a huge barrier. So we would hope that this might start that discussion. You mentioned that some providers were noting barriers to point-of-care use. Did you find any barriers to point-of-care use that were surprising? Uh, For sure. So when we initially thought about the question before we started our interviews, we thought about barriers as two broad categories. So there was technological barriers. So um, anything from the device you might be using, a desktop computer versus a laptop versus a a mobile device like a a phone or a tablet, um, which comes with barriers of you know, how do you get it onto your Wi-Fi network? How do you get through the firewall in your department? How do you get through the big concrete, um, the the concrete walls? Um, so that was kind of one category that we thought of. And the other was a content-related barrier. So many people would often say, well, I don't use this because it's a big paragraph that, that I would have to read. And that's just not feasible when I'm trying to quickly, you know, um, get some uh, information. So Um, We thought about it that way, but in the end, um, I would say by far the main barrier to use was familiarity. So if you came to work expecting that you would, in the context of your work, download an app and use it right there um, in the middle of your workday, that was just not feasible for anybody. You had to actually be familiar with the resource um, or else you'd be very unlikely to use it, regardless of how easy it was perceived to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we saw was obviously with the younger generation, so those that had kind of grown up um, through their medical studies with certain resources were much more likely to use um, a resource because they'd had the time, you know, as a medical student, when they were waiting around to review with their attending staff, they'd be kind of scrolling their phone, learning about 
um, how an app worked, how it looked, um, and they could familiarize themselves with it. And then later when they were trying to be faster, they kind of already had that mental memory of, oh yeah, this piece of information was on, was in that section and they could get to it really quickly. And that was really the main barrier was this concept of habit of use. So Mm. the more you were familiar with something, the more you were likely to go back to it. And that was regardless of like things that more novice users would tell me, like, you know, if they'd never seen an app, they'd be like, oh, well, this is just unfeasible because it's too many clicks or it's too many screens. You know, once you were familiar with something, you would go through quite a bit of um, of these inconveniences to access the information. So you ask somebody who used a resource frequently, do you mind that you have to click or that there's not drop down menus? And they're like, nope, nope, that's fine. I don't mind any of that. Like mm. I know where I'm going. I know where to get it. Um, and I'm willing to kind of make those sacrifices. So that was really surprising. And even the reviewers for the article kind of didn't believe us when we reported that finding. Um, they questioned it a little bit, but we certainly did hear it from a number of people. That's interesting. So if there's increased familiarity with an app, people are willing to put up with a few more headaches. Exactly. And so it would speak to the idea that, you know, the sooner you get into this and the more used to it you get, because again, as a learner, you might have a little bit more time than, you know, as an attending physician who's been working for a long time. Um, it's just, it's just easier because it's a, it's a short, like a longer process that you have to learn how to use something versus it being thrown in your face and being like, here, use this now for the first time in a busy clinical shift. Well, as an experienced clinical provider, do you have any favorite point of care resources that you use every day? Um, so in terms of resources that I use, I would use some of the, the ones that most people are familiar with. So up to date, um, on like a desktop. And, um, I also like the Google foam search. So it's like a Google search, but it's specific for the, um, foam literature. So you just type Google foam, F-O-A-M, um, you'll, you'll get that. And that will search more medical type literature. Um, I have a couple of the regular apps, like I use a, an iPhone. So I have PD stat for, um, pediatric, um, critical care situations. And then I have a bunch of drug database apps. We have one in Canada specifically for Canadian products. So it's called RXTX. I'll look up um, medications using that. Um, We have a billing app that I use pretty often. And then things like an OB wheel um, so that I can use in very specific cases. Those would be the ones that I would use most frequently at this time. Well, thanks for sharing. I'm definitely going to check out some of those apps myself. I did want to go back to one of the findings in your research that I found a little bit surprising, and that's that providers are actually using point-of-care resources to teach patients. Did you learn any new ways to use point-of-care resources in your in your practice? Yeah, I, I too was surprised by this, um, and I found it was brought up quite frequently more by uh, senior residents or attending staff. Uh, for me, one of the novel things people mentioned was uh, an app called MedSketch, 
uh, which allowed practitioners to show patients like directly at the bedside um, using anatomical pictures. So for example, you could explain to a patient when, that's having renal colic um, what the kidneys look like, what the ureters look like, and what exactly is going on when we tell you you have a kidney stone. Um, and they found that a really kind of helpful way of guiding the patient. Uh, unfortunately, when I went to look for this MedSketch app, it wasn't um, available anymore. Um, but certainly there are similar apps out there um, that you can use for a similar purpose. So um, there's one I tried out that's called DrawMD. And, and I certainly don't, um, don't condone the use of one app or another, but, um, sure. but uh, that's another one that you can consider looking into um, to try and be able to do that because I think patients really appreciate that. Well, I think that in itself would be an interesting research question if it hasn't been done already. Agreed. So one of the tenets of your work was the development of a conceptual framework for point-of-care resource use in the emergency department. How do you envision the framework be used in the future? So I think, like I mentioned before, the most important use of our framework um, would be to guide educators on how to maximize um, point-of-care resource use for various providers in their day-to-day ED um, practice. Um, so trying to get them really on board um, and understanding that this can not only maximize your efficiency, but increase your effectiveness as a teacher, as a healthcare provider. Uh, I think one of the most, for the most part, these resources are still underutilized in the clinical um, in the clinical realm, and they'd be so much so helpful in promoting evidence based um, practice and good clinical care. Um, but I also understand that attending staff groups have a multitude of competing interests and um, and you kind of have to get their buy-in. So I'm hoping that our conceptual framework can sort of highlight that you can actually save time um, and be efficient um, while using these resources. I guess secondarily, I hope this framework might guide the future design of resources. So right now, um, a lot of resources out there are commercial for-profit products, um, like UpToDate or Dynamed. And um, it's really hard to sort of understand how those um, products work or understand why certain changes get made because it's all proprietary information. So we want to bring this out into the realm of medical providers and say, hey, you too could do this if you have um, – you know, a background in technology, like, why don't you start designing stuff that actually we're going to use in the department effectively? That's perfect. Now, what questions does your group plan on looking into next? I think now that we have a broader understanding of how people might use these things, it would be helpful to look at um, specific, um, specific resources. So, in my work with academic life in emergency medicine, now that we've redesigned um, the alien cards, uh, can we look at them in more detail and, and specifically see how we can continue to improve them or upgrade them? Um, we probably have a lot of questions from that. Also, in my own practice in Calgary, we're in the process of building a provincial or what you guys in the States would call a statewide electronic medical record with decision support for all of our healthcare facilities in the region. Wow. So um, we have the ability in this next five years to customize our decision support and tackle some of the same issues on a 
pretty large scale. So I think there'll be a lot of questions that come out of that. Well, that sounds like a monumental task, and I don't want to keep you from it. I really appreciate your time, Dr. Patoka. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Podcast. Make sure to check out the full text of this article available on our blog, brownemblog.com. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. Many thanks to Dr. Rory Merritt. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa. Thanks for listening.